God, we're a needy people, a hurting people. Sometimes it's the doctor's word, the phone call that is hard because it's true. And we realize that we need you and need help. And we pray in faith for your healing and your protection and comfort in your presence. For some, it's difficult relationships. Maybe with a friend, maybe with a co-worker, maybe with a schoolmate. Maybe with a husband or a wife. Children, parents. And God, again, we need you to reach in beyond what we're sometimes able to do. To give us hearts of forgiveness or the ability to ask forgiveness when one is done. And as your word encourages us, to attempt to be of service. We thank you for this time. We anticipate the proclamation of your word and your spirit touching our hearts with your word and what we need for this day and this season of our lives. For with thanksgiving we pray in your name. there any clues here? <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> it's going to be fun. At the very beginning of Lent, I preached a sermon called The Ultimate Sacrifice, Part 1. And the next week, there was an assumption that I was going to preach The Ultimate Sacrifice, Part 2. But I didn't. And I didn't preach it the next week, and I didn't preach it the next week, and some thought perhaps I'd forgotten that it was supposed to be two parts. I didn't forget. It was in the plan. Pastor Bell saw the sermon schedule. It was there. Today is the ultimate sacrifice, part two. And it was done purposefully because we bookend all of Jesus' sacrifices that we have discussed during this season with the ultimate sacrifice. The first week, extra credit if anyone remembers the first part. It's okay if you don't. What did he sacrifice? Good job. Who said that? Good job, Kim. Wow. He sacrificed his divine position. And we talked about Philippians 2 and we did verses 6 and 7 where it says that he did not consider equality with God as something to be held on to. And so he sacrificed his divinity and became a man. That's what that passage was. And then from that point, we've been talking about the other things that he sacrificed. Now we come to the other part of that ultimate sacrifice. So if you would please stand. In honor of God's word, I'd like to share it with you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. We will add a verse today. Who being in very nature God, this is Jesus Christ, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So ends the reading, and you may be seated. So what is the rest of the ultimate sacrifice? He sacrifices the divine position. He sacrificed approval. He sacrificed comfort. He sacrificed all the things we've talked about. And he has one more thing to sacrifice. He sacrifices his life. He sacrifices his life. Why? For us, why would he do such a thing? He loves us. Wow. That's amazing. That he would love me that much? That he would love all of us that much? is beyond comprehension. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. We're his friends. We're his friends. Isn't that a miracle? We're his friends. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He gave up divine position. He gave up approval. He gave up his former comfortable life. And now he's going to give up his life. That is an ultimate sacrifice. Paul cuts to the chase here. He doesn't tell us anything about Jesus' life. Basically, he becomes a man. He humbles himself, and he dies on a cross. None of the stuff in the middle is there. Because Paul is trying to help us understand the sacrifice that was made for us. He humbled himself. Nobody did this to him. He humbled himself. No one did any of what happens in Holy Week without Jesus' full permission. And without his full knowledge. Matthew 16, there's a conversation between Peter and Jesus. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Can you imagine that conversation? with his disciples, and Peter, oh, Peter, so strong, right? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Friend wants to stop the tough things from happening. But Jesus knows this is God's will and that this is necessary. So Palm Sunday. Tell me about Palm Sunday. How did the day go? What happened on Palm Sunday? He went into Jerusalem. Triumphantly, 
all those palms and cloaks on the ground. And what was he riding? A donkey. Okay. So then what? Everybody was cheering. Everybody was happy. Was Jesus happy? How do you know Jesus wasn't happy? We don't know. I mean, all the movies, he's happy. Right? He's smiling. He's got a palm branch. I've seen lots of the movies. And he's smiling. And I believe he was. I believe he was. But what happened after he rode into Jerusalem? Don't you love God's word? Because we think we know it, don't we? And we don't quite go all the way in it. Because this is what happens. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I've always pictured Jesus being kind of smug there. It's like, yeah, you just try it, because then the stones are going to sing. But I wonder if he was thinking, he's thinking, this crowd's going to turn on me, and I'll need the stones to cry out. Because the very next thing is this. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Tears on that donkey and weeping. Never put that together. Weeping. Because he knows they're not going to get it. He's not weeping for himself and the suffering. He's weeping for the fact that these people aren't going to get it. And he knows that Jerusalem, the rest of that passage, talks about the complete destruction of Jerusalem, and it happens. Just a few decades after his death, it is leveled. And he's weeping, if you've only known. So you have a smiling Jesus, and then you have a weeping Jesus. And then, the same day, When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. He goes from joy to anguish, anger. You ever picture Jesus on an emotional roller coaster? Can you blame him? Blame him. He's real. The suffering is real. He knows what's coming. And it's like, oh, if you'd only get it. Oh, if you would stop treating the temple the way that you treat it. He knows he's going to go to that cross for these people. He does it out of pure love. Pure love. He made the choice. When he's before Pilate, John 19 says, The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, 
And according to the law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Not a doubt that God is in control of this situation, that Jesus is fully obedient. So let's talk about that business of humbling. What does that mean? He humbled himself. What does that mean? I don't know whether you picture humility, but you know, some people think humility is, oh, I'm not worthy. Do you think that was what that was about? The Greek word here, this is one of the most powerful passages in the Greek I have ever read. It's not humbling. He humiliated himself. He humiliated himself. Wait a minute. The Son of God allowed these people to strip him down to a loincloth, to take a whip with barbs at the end of it and strike him 39 times so that he is peeling skin and bleeding profusely in front of everybody. He allowed them to take a centurion's purple robe and drape it on him to press a crown of thorns into his flesh of his head so that he bled and to mock him, hail king of the Jews, to spit on him as he walked. I was just amazing when I see this face. That's awful. And do you know why he did that? Because he loved me so much. Isn't that beautiful? It was a bad thing to do. It's bad when people make fun of you, isn't it? Really, really bad. And Jesus did that because he loved us. Because it was necessary to save us. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Obedience. Do we obey? Do you obey? When your parents tell you to do something, do you do it? No. <laughs> I love it. She's an honest, honest child. This is good. I could just, I survey all the kids. This would be fun. Okay, grown-ups, do we obey? Sometimes. When it's convenient. When it's not too much trouble. At least we have an honest young lady over here. Jesus obeyed to the letter. To the letter. Knowing the cost. He obeyed. Yes, Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. Do you remember that hymn about trusting and obeying? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. 
to be happy in Jesus and to trust and obey. And that's what it comes down to. It comes down to trust and obedience. I want to share with you a full chapter of Scripture. Can you handle God's Word a little extra today? Isaiah 53 is one of the most powerful passages to describe Jesus and what he did. And I would encourage you, close your eyes or just sit and reflect. Listen to these words and imagine, because it's true, this is done for you. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We, all like sheep, have gone, our, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He trusted. He trusted that the ending was going to be worth it. He trusted that his father would raise him from the dead. That when this was finished, he would have accomplished ultimate sacrifice for us and that he would be resurrected to glory. Let me ask you something. Whatever you're going through, and I know some of you are going through some really tough things. Do you trust? Do you trust that 
God has it in his hand. Do you trust that whatever happens, he has it in his hand? That's what trusting and obeying is. Walking the walk that's been given to us, however tough it is. But knowing this Jesus Christ suffered. He suffered more than I think most of us could ever imagine suffering. And he did it partly so he is a God that we can turn to and know that he understands. He he understands he suffered. He's cried out. He's wept. He's been in despair. And how did he do it? Do you need it? Do you need that love? Do you? Some people feel they don't. I had a conversation with a young woman this morning, and she said to me, she was telling me about her background, and she said, you know, I, I believe in God, but I don't need him. before church this morning, just wasn't anybody who was on computer. I said, well, I do. I need him. And she said, well, my parents feel that way too. They, they say they need him, but I don't. And I said, well, you know, your parents and I realize that having God as part of our life enriches our lives and brings meaning to our lives. And we get to the hellfire damnation thing too early in the relationship. But, I mean, I didn't tell her why she really needs him, but at a level that she can understand and that we all need to understand, we need him because he makes life so much better. We need him because he's the one we can trust to love us no matter what we do. us. He wants to save us not only for eternal life, but for now. That's the ultimate sacrifice that he made. Let me tell you about crucifixion for just a moment. This is an NIV application commentary. Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, but he stooped even lower when his obedience led him to the cross. In the world Paul shared with the Philippians, this was the lowest that one could stoop socially. Crucifixion was the cruelest form of official execution in the Roman Empire, and although a Roman citizen might experience it, if convicted of high treason, it was commonly reserved for the lower classes, especially slaves. Partly because crucifixion was not the conversation of polite company, and partly because the cruel creativity of executioners was allowed wide latitude. The specifics of the process are not frequently described. Generally, however, the victim was first tortured in various ways and then fastened to a cross by impaling, nailing, binding with ropes, or some combination of all three. Death often came slowly over a period of days as the victim experienced increased blood loss, thirst, hunger, the attacks of wild animals, and ultimately suffocation. Crucifixion. That 
said she loved me. She went obediently and willingly and was humiliated out of the ultimate love. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. She was willing. She was willing. John 3.16, such a very, very special and famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, do you remember? That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. I love 1 John 3.16. I read part of it because it helps me to understand my part in it. Jesus wants me to receive that love, and if you don't know him, just ask him. Just say, come into my heart, please, Lord, and be my Lord and Savior. That's all it takes. And then let him be your Lord and Savior and learn to walk with him. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. I don't think we're likely to be called to go to the cross for our brothers and sisters. But we are asked to sacrifice. Whatever that means, to sacrifice. To show Christ's love. Even if you don't love somebody, you're called to show Christ's love. And sacrificial love, you know, you understand what that is? Something that costs you, and that's not necessarily money. Sacrificially loving somebody is what we're called to do. I am sure that every one of us can think of somebody that we could do that for. Just know that Jesus loves you. If you don't remember anything about this, God, thank you for the ultimate gift. Lord, that you would lay down your life for each one of us while we're yet sinners. Lord, that it's grace, it's undeserved. But oh Lord, we need you. Lord, I ask you to right now send your spirit into this place in a deep and powerful way that we would feel that love.